Is yes. It? One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. All right, and we've got a hard out tonight, so we're going to get this preamble done real quick. So, Christina, yeah. in three words, say something <laughs> nice that happened to you this week. Soup night tomorrow. Great. There we go. Alice, three words, something nice that happened to you this week. I had, no, that's the word three words. Uh, good <laughs> restaurant going. Great. Good. And Tanner. posted fanfic chapter. All right, let's start the podcast proper. Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now As we riff the show Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out Why we love this show Better grab your golden stars and slushies Cause you're listening You're listening To loser like me Loser like me Welcome to Loser Like Me is the podcast where we talk wait. about... Oh, wait, is it you start? It's, it's an odd episode. I start. <laughs> oh, I guess it is an odd episode. I always thought, for all, I always thought this was episode 14 because Valentine's Day and the 14, but I guess it's episode 13. Sorry, I had to throw something so my cat would try to chase it. <laughs> all right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Loser Like Me. This is a Glee recap and review and love, maybe <laughs> some type of love podcast because... There has to be some kind of self-sacrificial love involved in watching Glee in the year of our Lord 2023. <laughs> My name is Christina, and I had a bit written down and I lost it. It's fine. Uh, that's fine, because you know what? Here's the thing is that we actually both started this podcast when we were in the musical group Up With People. <laughs> also, I'm Tanner, and we also have a guest today! Yes. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, my name is Alice, as in the one in Wonderland, because sometimes people hear it as Alex. <laughs> It's like Alice from the Resident Evil movies. Yes. Or Alex, the the one with the time-traveling powers in Miraculous Ladybug. Oh, I have Who is also based on Alice in Wonderland. She's just French. Oh. They're all French. They are all French. But... <laughs> Unfortunately. I feel like people don't factor in the Frenchness of Miraculous Ladybug when they write the uh, Marinette Damien shipping fanfics. <laughs> I don't know who Damien is. So. Damien Wayne from Batman. Oh! 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 Yeah! Okay. Spectacular. I mean, good for them. Today, we are watching season three, episode 13, Heart, which is technically a heart emoji. Yeah. Less than three. It was directed by Brad Falchuk and written by Ali Adler. It aired on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2012. And Tanner, since we have a guest, we have questions that we ask first-time guests. We do. We have simple questions, Alice, which is, what is your history with Glee, the extracurricular, and or the TV show? I don't know what Glee extracurricular is. Well, you know how Glee clubs are a real thing that real people do sometimes? Oh, oh, in that way. Oh, okay. You ever sing in a school? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, the show itself, um, when it was first, actually first airing, I loathed it, and when I became an adult... I have softened considerably. The musical numbers in Glee are just a little too unhinged for me to not to like. <laughs> They're just, there's something just a little too crazy about them for me not to like. As far as uh, experience with Glee Club as an actual activity, I've never heard anyone in real life call it that, uh, who isn't like a boomer. But <laughs> I did not do singing in school. I did a lot of ski- singing basically everywhere else but school. My sister did a lot. Including uh, magicals, 
Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Same. And she did a lot of pageant stuff, so I have a lot of I have a lot of experience with like school choirs, um, kind of second second hand, and I have a lot of experience with choirs and musical performance and outside of outside of school as well. Nice. What was their question? Those were the questions. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought there was their one. Yeah, the um, my my experience of the second one may come up here at, at some a couple of points in this. <laughs> And anyone who's been involved in a school choir on this show has been like, that's not how anything works. For that matter, the people oh, who yeah. haven't been involved in a choir are also like, hey, I'm pretty sure that's not how that works. Yeah. Tanner, do we know if the if the big three of Glee were, like, ever involved in choir or show choir in their own time in school? Like the actors? Well, I'm no, I'm referring to Ryan, Ian. Oh, and... I'm almost certain they were not. Gotcha. I'm pretty sure it's only in a Glee club because that's funny. It's like, what if this these messed up teens were in a Glee club? Because it was going to be a movie originally. And Ian Brent was like, hey, Ryan Murphy, what if there were teens and they were pregnant and did drugs and were gay, but they were also in a Glee club? And Ryan Murphy was like, that's an amazing idea, but what if we put it on Fox television instead? <laughs> we should try to find the script for that and, like, do a boco on it or something. That'd be fun. Okay, well, kidnap Ian Brennan. We'll, we'll get Fall Out Boy to kidnap Ian Brennan <laughs> off the street for us. Nothing will go wrong. Uh, but we should actually probably talk about the episode. Let's talk about the episode. Uh, let's, let's talk about money. Yeah. We start this episode with the introduction like, Hey, this is Love Songs Week because it's Valentine's. And every couple in the Glee Club is getting cute and cozy. Except for Hurt, whose boy... Hurt, excuse me, except for Kurt. I hurt myself today. <laughs> except for Kurt, whose boyfriend is busy succeeding in business. I thought he died. <laughs> Sugar thinks he died. <laughs> Blaine is taking a sabbatical in gay super hell. <laughs> wait, wait, Alice, I do, do you need any context for what happened in this episode? Yeah. Oh, no, I had no idea what was going on. And honestly, it was a great experience to have no idea what the hell was happening. Send up a flag if you want context for anything that we that the three of us talk about today. Why did he go to super gay hell? So I'm just joking that he died. So in actuality, here's what you missed on Glee. Kurt's boyfriend Blaine jumped in front of him because the nemesis show choir vocal adrenaline, or not vocal adrenaline, sorry, the other nemesis show choir, the Warblers, they're all gay boy twinks, and they sing a cappella. <laughs> and their leader had a crush on Blaine, and when Blaine didn't reciprocate, he decided to become evil, and he threw a, sl a slushy like from 7-Eleven, and it was full of rock salt, and he threw it at Kurt, but Blaine jumped in front Ooh. of it, and he got his cornea scratched, and so he had to stay home to get eye surgery. And while he was recuperating, the Glee Club sang a Michael Jackson song at him, because it was all- Wait, I've Michael seen Jackson this! I saw that yeah. it was crazy <laughs> yeah because it's a rat song it's a song about a rat <laughs> okay i've seen that bit i i thought the that that performance is really good it's extremely un, like it's just really unnecessary but it rules uh, the only reason why this happened is because darren chris blaine's actor got a gig following up daniel radcliffe in how to succeed in business without really trying on Broadway, and so we went to go do that for like two months. I was literally yeah. thinking of trying to make a joke using specifically the title of that play, so I'm glad I was on the right track there. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it was. It was like a two month stint before he was officially succeeded by Nick Jonas. Yes, which is wild. I'm sure he did fine. I didn't get to see it. 
the celebrities who show up on Broadway, you never expect them to do that. What, to do fine? No, to be on Broadway. Ah, yeah, that's true. Anyways, Kurt is sad, uh, and Will is like, hey kids, we gotta raise uh, the last bit of money for, like, costumes for regionals, so we're gonna have, <laughs> should we should have a bake sale, and everyone's like, how dare you? Last time we had a bake sale, someone got pregnant. And they are having to fundraise, because they do not have, like, transportation funds for regionals, which is next week. Or a set list for regionals, which is next week! The set list never matters for regionals because there's always some event that happens right before regionals and they're like, wow, our entire outlook on life has changed. We have to redo the set list for regionals. Will suggests his, his next plan is that they're going to do singing telegrams to fundraise. And as a whole, all of the kids just yell, no, because the last time they did a singing telegram for Christmas, they got fruit and vegetables thrown at them and shoes. Yeah. I mean... I'm not sure they're that bad. They're not. It's just this school hates the performing arts more than they hate Obama because it's Ohio in 2012. I've heard that the Ohio, is it? I've heard it's for lovers. <laughs> I've heard it's for emo kids. It's the only thing I, I know about it. Okay, so that that okay, I, that explains it a little bit because like they seemed really unenthused. And I was sitting there like, but that sounds like an okay idea. That sounds appropriate. You don't have to really work yeah. very hard on that one. That makes sense. Oh, and here's the thing, is you will find that kids actually love when the Glee Club performs, except when the show needs us to decide that they hate when the Glee Club performs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, like, I was thinking to myself that, like, this makes perfect sense, and it also makes sense that no one would want to do it because, you know, it, they're they're supposed to be teenagers, and teenagers don't like to be cringe. But yeah. also thinking about having to actually do this as a thing, like a fundraising thing, makes me want to die. Mm-hmm. I would hate that. Probably would have been okay, maybe, depending on the group. <laughs> we should just be happy that Sugar is here. <laughs> yes, and because, thank God, whoever was in the head writer's chair for the scene realized, you know what just solves a lot of problems? Throwing money at things. Yeah, have a mafia princess in the club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, because Sugar Mata, God bless her heart, God bless her little time-traveling heart, just goes up to Will Schuster and says, here, this should cover all of our transportation money. And she just hands him a stack full of $100 bills that she was keeping in her purse so that her future moms wouldn't be humiliated again. <laughs> Alice, are you aware of the theory that Sugar is a time-traveler? <laughs> no, I'm... Can you, can you give me the short version? Because this is like some, like... I have to save Shinji Kawaru like time loop stuff that you were describing to me here. What's going on? The short version <laughs> is that Sugar Mata, who is the who is the rich mafia princess. Yeah, she exudes that energy. She looks similar enough, like she looks like she could feasibly be the child of Brittany and Santana. And I believe it. She's weird enough that the fandom just kind of was like, what if she's a time traveler who has come back from the future? To make sure that her moms get together the way that they're supposed to. Like, she is here intervening in the past to ensure her own existence and her parents' happiness. Okay. Okay. Having watched this and the scene with them and the um, scene later on where they, where they talk with the principal, I, I can buy it. I like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe it. I have no reason to, but I believe it. It's great. I'd like to accept that as canon, but even if we weren't, I do also like the other part where she declares, I love the sound of applause, even if I have to buy it, because it does go <laughs> hand in hand with something she said way earlier in the season, where it's like, I just want to be included. So it's like, oh, 
You're lonely rich girl with lonely rich girl problems. I can dig that. Holy mm-hmm. shit, that's such a great line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyways, now, now that... <laughs> I also appreciate the fact that Sugar just immediately shuts down any subplot Will could have introduced. Like, no, silence. <laughs> I am the main character today. My city now. <laughs> Good. I have bought breadsticks. Daddy bought breadsticks for me for Valentine's Day. And everyone gets to come unless you're single. Because single people are boring and gross and don't exist in my world. And also, she got everybody candy. Like, she got everybody a set of, like, one of those, like, chocolate heart gift sets. And she hid them under everybody's chairs. Except for Artie. She hid his in the trash can because he didn't have a chair to hide it under. It kept moving around. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that's the plot today, is you can't be single, have a party about it. And so I'm pretty sure it's Quinn who says, aren't you single? And Sugar's like, not for long. And there is <laughs> pointed looks from both Artie and Damien. I mean, Rory, whatever his name is. I was really hoping that she would do so. I was really kind of hoping at that point that she would be some sort of like other, he's at a other school kind of business. Mm. Like yeah, I totally have a partner, but they're at another school. You you wouldn't know them. <laughs> I was really hoping that would happen, just just for the tradition, but not this time. It's John Glass. <laughs> Anyways, I got a note that said, "Come to the auditorium. It's urgent." Signed, Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> yeah, and Rachel and Finn like show up to this auditorium, having each gotten matching notes and. They have been summoned there by Rachel's dads, who are Leroy, Barry, and Jeff Goldblum. Uh, actually, it's Leroy. Sorry, it's Leroy. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting to see Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, neither was I. I think that was announced, like, t- two weeks beforehand. They were like, excuse me? Jeffrey? I mean, I'm never Jeffrey Goldblum? unhappy to see him. I just was surprised. Yeah. Also, in the pilot, they were like, yeah, hey, Rachel's dads are also interracial. One of her dads is black, and that is no longer the case. Well, okay, no, no. The other dad, whose name I'm desperately trying to Google right now, he is black. He's just very light-skinned. Oh, nice. Uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Brian Stokes Mitchell is the light-skinned representation of Glee. Uh, Very different from the dads we saw in the pilot, though, because that man was extremely black. Yes. I like Brian Stokes Mitchell. He's cool. Yes. I did not recognize him, but... He's more of a Broadway person than a shows up in a Marvel movie person. Mm. All right. No, that's probably true. My wife has probably seen seen him. I get the feeling that Brian Stokes Mitchell as Leroy was given lines and Jeff Goldblum as Hiram was like, Hey, Jeff, just just Goldblum about the place. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even write down... His act- his character's name. I should write down Jeff Goldblum for the most yeah. part. I had to mention that his name was Hiram so that people didn't think Rachel's Berry's dad was canonically Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, that'd be wild. And they're here to congratulate Rachel and Finn about their upcoming marriage. And they also do a lot of, like, sniping at each other because... Uh, because Leroy had a dream about going ice fishing with Tony Danza. And I was like, please... Please stop. <laughs> and they say, let's have a big family dinner over Valentine's. Let's have a big family dinner over Valentine's so that we can meet the Hudmals and we can start wedding planning, goddammit! It's a nice day for a teen wedding. Yeah, so <laughs> I had to, you know, okay, you know like a character in a show will be like, hmm, no, right there, enhance. I had to do that <laughs> about this, like, wait, what? Can you, can you go back and, wait, what's going on here? Why? 
All I will say is that is that the Misters Barry explain almost everything about Rachel. I don't want to say I'm not sure how I feel, but I will say it was the fact that they are um, they're revealing marriage plans in this episode was not what I expected to happen. That's Glee, baby. <laughs> I was I was expecting like everything else is uh, with one exception in this episode. Like I'm like, okay, that's fair. I I I couldn't see that coming, and that was like, huh, huh, okay. Anyway, it's time for it's time for God Squad. God. This I did not see coming, and I loved it. Every moment was <laughs> agony, but it was I loved it, but it was agony. Real, real quick. I want to start by reading out what their itinerary is on the whiteboard for this club meeting. Oh, no. Oh, please do. <laughs> First off, number one, greetings and introductions. Number two, community service. Uh, options are adopt a highway and shoe drive. Number three, fundraising. Number four, proselytizing. Number five, pray about Artie's legs. Number six, secretly baptize people. Ah! Hey, Mercedes, uh, I don't want to yuck any yums, but that last option is how the papal states ended. Excuse me, what was that last one? Secretly baptize people? Secretly baptize people! I have several questions, follow-up questions. The thing here is that nobody on the Glee writing staff likes religion. And so they just put all the things they don't like. I noticed by how they use the term proselytize, a term that is only used negatively out by people outside of the group that is being depicted, which... Yeah, that's true. That is startling. Also, also, Christina, I feel like we, we need to revise that. It's not that no one on the Glee writing, no one on the Glee writing staff likes religion. It's that maybe they don't like religion, but Ryan Murphy is fascinated by it. He wants to study it like a bug. And also, he wants to give conservative Christians a fair shot. He's wrong, and he should know that. I mean, they do have, the God Squad does have the best line of this episode. Oh, almost definitely. With the, um, you know, one out of ten people is, is they say one out of ten people is gay. So there's like, at least one of the disciples. Yeah. I think yeah, Simon. That's <laughs> uh... the gayest name. It's good. That's, like that's not yet, y'all. We gotta meet Joe the Christian. <laughs> God Squad is Quinn, Sam, Mercedes, and somehow they remembered him from the Glee Project, Samuel Larson, the other winner, who was here for his first episode at 13 out of 22. <laughs> Baffling. Oh yeah, uh, d- d- just in case you haven't heard, Rory the Irish Boy and Joe the Christian bo- are both on the show because they won a reality TV show series. Against the Coyotes, they won. <laughs> Yes. But yeah, and Sam immediately nicknames Joe the Christian as Tarantula Head because he is a white guy with dreads. We get his his three-sentence character summary that he comes from an extremely conservative family and an extremely friendless background. His best friend is his mom. He's been homeschooled for a very long time. His dad listens to talk radio and they don't own a television. But they let him keep his tattoos of Bible verses. Yeah, I know some people like that. And during his introduction, Quinn, Quinn Fabray, who sp- two episodes ago sang a whole song about how she's like done with boys and is done with Rachel, she zeroes in on Christian and some kind of dark spell is woven and she's immediately infatuated with him and I hate it. She says he's like a teen Jesus. That must have been a Ryan line. I hate this. Yeah. I would argue that he doesn't look a thing like Jesus. Just look at the like Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> this is funny. 
I can't remember the next line, but my mouth wanted to say fucks like an animal. Were young. The entire bit with the God Squad meeting, and also every time that they are, any of them are on, on screen, is like a fever dream. It is like watching an, a space alien attempt to replicate what you do every day. <laughs> Not that I do this every day, but like it's like watching uh, humans, but only as depicted by space aliens. Because procedurally generated episode of Glee. <laughs> God, it, it does. It like just. Little bits would be off in that way that only something that's, like, algorithmically made could be. I hadn't even noticed the proselytize thing on the board. I did notice the secret baptism thing, which was why I had follow-up questions about, like, I would need to ask you, are they secretly baptizing people because Glee is in some kind of alternate universe or something? Am I missing the sort of, like, underground motive here? Or, like, what's going on with that? That was a really weird thing to write on a board. The fact that they're called the God Squad sounds like a thing I would say to make fun of them, but that's what they call themselves? Yeah. I have to ask, because I'm a little confused. When is Glee set? Uh, 2012. This this episode is 2012. Okay. So, because I remember, I remember thinking to myself watching this, okay, if this were set a little earlier, then they would obviously be riffing off, like, the Jesus Freaks thing stuff from, um... Mm-hmm from DC Talk. But if, okay, if it's 2012, then that's a little too late to be um, getting their group name from that, so that's fair. Yeah. But anyways, they decide that they're gonna do the singing telegrams, since Glee isn't doing them, so now it's the Christian singing telegrams, which are much more well-received, mm-hmm. we will see. I wanted to make a joke about how, because Sam was like, St. Valentine was a Christian, and I do want to make a joke about how, like, he's murdering heathens! But then I remember <laughs> that that whole gag was about St. Patrick, although I'm sure St. Valentine murdered some heathens, too. Yeah, probably. I had terrible news. St. Valentine and did not murder heathens in any of the versions of the story. Dang. Yeah, he he just he just got murked for he just got, he just got martyred. <laughs> Interestingly, because of something that happens later in this, uh, he actually one of the versions of why he was martyred was because he was performing weddings when he wasn't supposed to be. Huh. Because oh. the legal, the way that weddings were usually recognized by the community in Rome was that you had to go through certain sort of like rites, but they're pagan rites, and you'd have to deliberately swear your allegiance to other gods. So Christians huh. weren't able to get married in a public way. So he was doing those for them so that they would have an option, and that is why he got murdered because he's technically nice. flooding the law. That's the most popular version. I find it interesting because. Um, I don't know. I personally have always thought that was it, it was it's an interesting kind of crossover with how, you know, they weren't able to really get married like, at, at certain points in the imperial history. And then you look on later and how that kind of like the person chased by the lion and kind of becomes the lion after a while. Fascinating. That does kind of show up a little bit when we get later with the principal when they're complaining in the principal's office and he is trying to play it off. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get to that scene, though, we gotta talk about Puck fucking his way through a sorority house. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. He's bringing the entire sorority of Delta Zeta. Good job. Congratulations, sorority house. Good job. Yeah. Meanwhile, Kurt is getting Gorilla Grams from Danky Kang. <laughs> okay, I did like that. That did roll. The deliverer in the gorilla suit showed up and I just wrote, Oh no, painted in the gorilla suit. Oh no, I know what happens. <laughs> and then, oh, this was what I was gonna use for my bit at the beginning. Kurt says, 
Will you tell me who my secret admirer is, Valentine Gorilla? <laughs> and the gorilla just kind of shrugs and leaves. It's unfortunate that the Bruno Mars song Gorilla didn't come out until December of that year. <laughs> that would have been well-timed otherwise. Yeah. And Artie and Rory are trying to fight over who's going to get to ask Sugar out to her own dance. Yeah. They make some kind of joke about accents. <laughs> Rory pulls out a four-leaf clover and declares that Artie's going to need all the luck he can get. And Kurt leans over and is like, do you people just carry those around? And apparently there was like an Irish news service that was furious about this line. Wait, okay, so was it wrong about that? That was the joke, is that you He's people Irish. are- Okay. I mean, I didn't expect the 19th century to come back with a vengeance, but you know, I guess people are into retro things now, so. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's it's not clever. It's not original. No, it's actually I don't think it's terrible line. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I don't think it's nearly as offensive as they were acting, because mm-hmm. the times has shifted and it's America, and the, the prejudice against the Irish, I would hope, has died down enough that you can make a silly joke about a shamrock. I just say yeah. it's kind of trite, because Roy's entire characterization has been silly jokes about a shamrock. This character has been has been silly jokes about a shamrock, and he wants to get laid. <laughs> yeah, he fucks and he's Irish. His first song was It's Not Easy Being Green. <laughs> No, wait, really? For real? Really? Really? (sighs) Okay. Okay. Okay, I had to come to peace with it, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's He's also my favorite boy, and I stand him. (laughs) (laughs) It could be worse. I ship him with Sam because they had a plot together in the Christmas episode, and I was like, this this is how Flan Evans can win. God, Flan Evans. It was easier to tag on Tumblr than Sorry. (laughs) S-O-R-Y. So, so then we get a, a number with Tina and Mike dancing in the choir room. They're singing L-O-V-E, and it's really cute. And I do love that this continues to be the year of Mike. Yeah, I love it. They sound great together. They do a dance. It's fun. And this was Harry Shum Jr.'s audition song, which oh, is that's great. Cute. Who is? Yeah. Who does this song originally, do you know? I wasn't familiar with this one. Uh, I want to say like Nat King Cole or something like that. Oh, don't. I don't remember. It's from that time where songs were written and just put into the wild and whoever bought the rights could sing them. So there's no like definitive version. Mm-hmm. While this plays, we get a montage of Artie and Rory fighting over sugar. So first Artie approaches her and hands her a candy heart, which is like, hug me. Hug me. But then Rory hands her a candy heart that says, kiss me. And he has a whole bag of candy hearts. And she's like, wow, more things. And then the next scene, Rory hands her a pillow that's be mine. And Sugar likes it. But then Artie tells her to open her locker, and so she does, and it blasts with confetti. And she's like, wow, more things! <laughs> and then Artie rolls up with a little, like, plush puppy in a handbag, and Sugar loves it. And then Rory shows up with a box containing a live dog. And Sugar <laughs> yeets the plushie across the library. Yeah. Yeah. And Rory makes an ooh burn face at Artie. Yeah. This is the one episode where they let Damien act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the next thing we cut to Brittany approaching Santana at her locker. Because for Valentine's present, Brittany made Santana a playlist, but not a mixed CD because she couldn't figure out how to make the CD work, which, relatable. Oh, that hurt. That made me feel so old. I mean, when I was in high school, I didn't know how to make a mixed CD. So, <laughs> I know now, but I didn't know then. Oh, God. I'm gonna die. How much? Wait, I can't be that much older than you. I think 
ultimately, I think it's less the fact that Britney's too young or too old and more just Britney's kind of a ditz. I guess so. Yeah, I, I didn't need to burn a CD because I had my little MP3 player, so. I got a lot of, mixed CDs were a big part of my high school. I actually got a lot of really nice fuzzy feelings with, with this, kind of this, the, the idea, with that idea, because like, I still remember getting mixed CDs from my very first girlfriend wrapped in a note that was on notebook paper. So like perfectly wrapped to the CD with little like hearts and whatnot all over it and Sharpie. It was a good time. Mm-hmm. I never got a mix CD in high school. I got a mix CD a few years ago from my friend at his going away party. And I haven't listened to it yet because I don't have any way to play CDs. Nice. Yeah, it's a little hard now. Thanks, Apple. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, Christina, did you write down the playlist? I did. Oh, good. Me too. <laughs> Do we want to go back and forth then on this on this the track listing for Britney's Valentine's Day playlist for Santana in 2012? Let's do it. It starts with Purple People Eater, followed by Disco Duck, then the Monster Mash. No, it was then on top. Oh, it was the Monster Mash, uh, followed by on top of spaghetti. You know, all covered with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by Osama Yo Mama. And then the Different Strokes theme song. Yeah. And I'm sure that all of these have some kind of significance or make sense at least to Santana because they've been together for so long and they're so adorable. And they love each other. Uh, they go to lean into a kiss. And then, with the steel chair! Figgin shows up! Lesbians! God, I missed Iqbal Teba. <laughs> Yeah. She's a delight. Sh- Sugar and Brittany have been dragged into the office for their PDA. Uh, <laughs> Sugar and Brittany? Ro- no, That's incorrect. her mom! <laughs> That's her mom! Santana and Brittany have been dragged into the office because of their PDA, which has been deemed inappropriate. Santana is rightfully pissed, and uh, Figgins is like, please don't make this about your sapphic orientation. PDA has no place in the sacred halls of McKinley High. And then they find out that the claims- complaints were made on religious grounds. Yeah. yeah, and Santana calls out the double standard of, like, what, she and Brittany can't have a peck on the cheek, or a peck on the lips while Finchel are standing there making out in the middle of the hallway literally three minutes later. <sighs> but Santana will get her kissing revenge. Exactly. And and Finchel will also do something. <laughs> out of yes. So I was curious if you guys could enlighten me on this. This bit here where he is trying to, like, play, he is trying to go, like, you know, don't make it about this, I'm not, I, I received a complaint about this i wasn't sure how i was supposed to take this because i felt like it was supposed to rest a little bit on what we know of him as a character it seemed very disingenuous to me but is it so figgins's deal is more that he's just kind of uh an ineffectual authority figure yeah i got yeah. that right. yeah he's i would say that he generally tries to do the right thing but he is hampered by the fact that the glee writers need somebody to make silly decisions that cause struggles for the glee club well i just think it's a more of a reflection of the times because remember it's 2012 which yeah i I know it might seem hard to believe now because we're all surrounded by gay people all the time including (laughs) friends who we we knew back in 2012 (laughs) Mm-hmm. literally talking to my friend the other day and he was like good god none of the people i knew in high school are straight anymore including me <laughs> <laughs> but it's very much of the times where like the per- people who were trying to do the right thing but they were fully believed that the right thing was 
Well, maybe queer stuff is just too mature for the children to handle. Straight stuff is okay, yeah. though, because I knew about it. And it was like, there wasn't malice in it necessarily. It was just that was the way they thought the world should work. And they were wrong, but they didn't know they were wrong. And more importantly, this whole subplot is a reflection of the stuff Glee was getting. Because on yeah. the one side, they were yeah. getting criticized by the fans for not letting the queer couples have the same amounts of PDA that all the straight couples got to. And on the other side, every time they did try and get something through, they would get lambasted by another group of viewers like, Good God, the fucking TV is turning the frogs gay! So, <laughs> yeah. I was wondering about that. About, like, because I, I was curious if that was kind of, like, we're totally not making this about how our show has been taken, but also we're definitely making this shit about how our show has been taken. Yeah, it, it's very much like, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to call them out on this because it, I think it ultimately worked out with that. They're shit saying mm-hmm. they're saying that we have like we've tried and been kind of like hampered on a lot of corners by the fact that we're on fucking Fox. But also, you're right, we could try harder. Anyways, the kiss between Brittany and Santana was cut for time in the 4pm episode in the Philippines and was not shown until the primetime telecast at 9pm. No, that was the one at the end. Okay, but still. Okay, anyways, my point being, homophobia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's, this was a weird, this was a weird blast from the past. The episode was mostly, for me, the parts of it that stick most in my mind are this and the God Squad bits. Because I was just like, huh, this feels like I'm all the way back in like the early 2000s again, all of a sudden. But I, I guess 2012, you know, is a different world. Yeah. Literally. Do you get that a lot when you're watching through this? Does it feel very like, huh, things were different back then? Sometimes. sometimes yeah. Sometimes we do have to actively remind, us, uh, actively remind ourselves like, oh yeah, things were way different back then. And it's Ohio. A state which neither of us have ever lived in. But we're both from different Midwests, so. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Back, to, back to the toxic traits. Yeah. Finn and Rachel walk up to Glee Club at the start of their class to have an announcement. They say, we're getting married! And Puck immediately says, when's the baby due? (laughs) Don't worry, Rachel won't have a pregnancy scare for another year. Yeah. Kurt and Quinn are both against it. Kurt is the one who told their parents, and Quinn is like, this is a bad idea. I am the queen, I am the bad idea as the character, and this is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. This is too early even for my home state of Mississippi. Really? There were at least three gra- like a couple engaged couples in my graduating class. Uh actually no, there were a lot more. I had a, we had a lot of of couples that were either engaged or would be engaged within about 3 or 4 months when I graduated. Hmm. My sister got married at 19. Oh. Huh. Yeah, it's actually super common here. Well, it's super common comparatively down here. I was surprised because I knew that this was, like, in the Midwest, because I don't think of that as being a Midwest thing as much. Nah. I feel like in, at least in the U.S. Midwest, the stereo, or if people are getting married early, it's like they get married as soon as they're 21 or, like, as soon as they graduate college, that kind of a thing. Yeah, that's what I would have assumed. I was, the whole, like, getting married this early kind of surprised me because it's like, I mean, if, oh, let me put it this way. If it had been um, said in, like, Tennessee or Georgia, I would have been, yeah, that that, that scans. Uh, it's like, Ohio, I'm like, don't y'all have, like, actual roads up there? <laughs> well, so the, the reason they're getting married is because Finn believes that he has nothing, he'll never accomplish anything. The, the greatest thing in his life is the fact that he was able to land Rachel, so he might as well just, like, 
tie it down now. And Rachel's like, well, we're going to get married eventually anyway. So what's the harm in getting married now? <sighs> yeah. Yay. So with like, it's it's still not healthy, but it's a different flavor of unhealthy than the usual getting married right out of high school, high school bit. No, it's just yeah. wildly irresponsible instead of like, yes. also, it's just like level one of that. So like levels one through like five. It's never yeah. been a responsible decision on this show. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I got that impression. I, I feel like there was one responsible decision made in this episode, but real quick, after Quinn expresses her concern about Finn and Rachel getting married at 18, Rachel says, well, I'm in that case, then you're uninvited from the wedding. I'm sure you would have been lovely in a bridesmaid's dress, Quinn. And Tina's like, hey, I want to wear a pretty dress. I'll support you guys. Already also voices his support, mainly so he can tell them to get off the fucking stage. Yeah, because this is time for Artie to sing his song to ask Sugar out, and it is Let Me Love You, backed up by all of the boys except Rory. And Rory pouts the whole time. Yeah, it's fine. I do like that Kirk got to be included in the boy band number because he never gets to be in the boy band numbers. Mm -hmm. He got to do uh, Hero Bambaleo with when it was Sam on lead. Oh, that's true. Well, that's because he was trying to seduce Ricky Martin. And it did have the fancy boots. Yes. But yeah, this time he's just one of the guys, which is great. <laughs> Good for him. After that, we cut forward to the unseasonably warm pit, out outdoor outdoor lunch pit. Yes, the outdoor lunch stairs. And Santana's like, yeah, sure, I guess I'll support you and Finn getting married. Why not? Her line is, I support your right to be miserable for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Santana. You know, I kind of liked it, if only because in a weird way, when you're that, when you're around this age... Someone being willing to say to to not immediately try to get you to not do a thing is sometimes the best way for, to get you to not do a thing. It's like be having someone who's in your corner almost makes it easier for teenagers to not make stupid decisions sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that this makes is sense. having taught teenagers before. They there's just something in their brains that makes them want to like do whatever the opposite of a good idea is, is so long as anyone's telling them not to do it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like the Freudian death drive, but for um shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> See, I I try to give these kids leeway because they are idiot teenagers, but it's also glee. So at a certain point I'm like, hey, come on, y'all. Yeah. No, it's every everyone at this age is stupid. It's just it's very universal. Yeah, just yeah. I did. It did remi- this did this whole episode does remind me a lot of substitute teaching. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Santana, I, I'm pretty sure she has like a limit of straight nonsense she can tolerate, and the fact that Finn and Rachel are engaged put her right at the top, and this has pushed her over the edge because now the God Squad is here to sing some song at Rachel. Mm-hmm. Finn bought a singing telegram, and uh, so then we start stereo hearts. With Joe on lead, Sam does some rapping. Is it weird that I like Sam being a white boy rapper more than I like Artie being the white boy rapper? No, I think he does well. I actually liked this little plot beat. This is a really good song. It's it's a fairly good song. The way that it's performed kind of... The way that some of the seeing Telegram kind of stuff happens in this, where they're like very right up in front of your face, there's no good way to do the singing right in front of somebody at somebody and make it look good visually. Unless they're also singing with you. It's just, it's always going to look a little awkward. So I kind of, you know, I've got some grace for that. The performances were really good. I really liked them. I also kind of liked, they literally did the baking the gay cakes thing here. (laughs) I mean, literally, it's like very literally like what they did. And I remember at this this specific point thinking, I kind of like this as a plot element. 
I wish that I could have seen this kind of puppy in a show that had time to actually like follow these characters around and yeah. let, really let them tease this out because that actually would be very very interesting to watch. Yeah, my other two notes for the performance itself. For one thing, she might be on the track, but if you watch, you can see Quinn very pointedly not singing. Yeah, she's just kind of vibing. Wait, is she not? Like again, she the D- Diana Agron might actually be on the track, the recorded track. She but is. But in I the number, I did not see her singing. She is just moving around with the God Squad and like helping Rachel upstairs and tables and stuff. Because I'm pretty sure her thought process is, I am not participating in this number. She's engaged. <laughs> My other note is when the gospel choir shows up. Instant gospel choir just add Jesus! I'm turning to Mercedes, and I'm borrowing a line from the earlier in this episode, just a few scenes prior in this episode. I'm saying, Mercedes, do you just carry them around with you? <laughs> no, no, gospel choirs were kind of like Ronan do did in like <laughs> They're just—it's kind of a Yojimbo situation. You just you know—you can pay them, you can pay them, and 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 you know, screw up or whatever. Or they just show up and sing and then vanish again. Oh yes, my God. that's exactly right. Gospel <laughs> Ronin. I need to write something called Gospel Ronin at some point. That sounds like it rules. It's it does. Episode title right there. But yeah, as soon as they finish singing, they say a bit like, "Oh, love Finn." And Santana's like, hey, so I can pay you guys to go sing a song to someone, right? They're like, yeah. She's like, cool, I'm going to buy one for Brittany, who is my girlfriend, who I love, and I kiss on the mouth. And Joe the Christian is standing there like, huh? Girl? Girl date girl? To teen? (laughs) Teen lesbians? Hey, Emily, can we get that one line from Madoka? Wait. Which line from Madoka? I'm almost certain she knows, but just in case, it's the one where G- Green Madoka is like, Girls can't love girls! Girls can't love girls! Girls can't love girls! <laughs> I must have missed that one. I haven't seen it, so. That is Madoka, right? I sh- Emily knows things. If it's not Madoka, you'll know. You- you'll find it. It's already on your soundboard, I'm sure. <laughs> God, what isn't on that fucking soundboard? <laughs> Emily, oh, Oracle of Soundboard. <laughs> Speaking of the God Squad doing the singing telegram, by the way, I'm not familiar with either of the songs. I think there's two songs they're mashing up here. No, this is one song. Oh, so it's one later. Song. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, yeah. Stereo Hearts by Gym Class Heroes featuring Am Levine. I also didn't know this one. Then <laughs> It's a very much the 2012 thing where it's like a rapper R&B person will have the rapper R&B like verses, but then the chorus would be like a female so, like featured artist and she'd be like, ooh. Yeah. I listen to Power Metal. I can't make fun of anybody. <laughs> My friend keeps convin- trying to convince me to do a power metal episode of my Glee fanfic. And I'm like, I'm not against it, but I don't think anything fits because it's Glee. Yeah. I regret to inform you that you were wrong. I wish that I didn't have to, but there's a lot of things that would fit. I hate to say it. Bonus episode where Alice helps us write a power metal episode of Glee. <laughs> oh god, I'm imagining it's terrible. <laughs> Featuring Rachel Berry singing Master of Puppets. I did feel, <laughs> speaking of the music here, um, I did feel a little out of my depth with this one. Because, like, I expected to get to know, like, at least, like, half the songs in here. And I knew, like, three of them. Yeah, this is a fairly, it's an interesting set list for this episode. Because mm-hmm. of the, like, re- released singles. Oh, no, I guess, oh, I guess they did release, <laughs> officially release the You're the Top cover. But, okay, so we have yeah. one... Two, 
uh, three, four, five. We have five songs that are technically two of them are mashed up together, but five songs that are like definitely oldies and more niche. We've got Stereo Hearts and Let Me Love You are like the contemporary hits, but they're very contemporary. They didn't really enter the pop cultural like milieu. Zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah, the, they didn't hit the zeitgeist that led them to carry on long after. They did kind of fade after they had their moments in 2012. Mm-hmm. And then I Will Always Love You and Love Shack, those are the standards. But like, so it's really only two big songs that people would know like in the future. That's glee though. We try to mix the oldies with the with the newsies. But yes. not the newsies, the musical. Can't believe they've never sang anything from Newsies. Oh, probably because it was owned by Disney, and that's a rights finagling. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, that makes sense. But then, but then the reboot. <laughs> and the reboot, Glee is Kingdom Hearts legal, so they could do anything from the Disney catalog now. <laughs> could 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 they do simple and clean? I would ask that they not. You but... said you, uh, you said Kingdom Hearts, and all I can think about is, man, what unhinged show tune kind of bit would they do for simple and clean? Um, I think that if they did that, it would be like in a video game tribute episode, and it would be like like a character realizing that an authority figure in their life wasn't as supportive as they initially thought. Now that they've like grown up and realized that they like they entirely devote their life to show choir, but now they've been exposed to people outside of the show choir circle that like there's more to life than just constantly singing and dancing. But of course, they have to express that through song. And so they're, they're looking back on their family history and they're like, don't tell me that this was all just simple and clean, okay? Because there's a lot of trauma that I'm going to have to unpack from this. Holy crap. I actually would definitely watch that. This is not a bit. Like, that sounds awesome, actually. Well, that's what I have planned for my Glee fanfic with the video game tribute episode. Amazing. Excellent. I would love that. To opens that opens with Escape from the City. <laughs> I would love to I love that. it. Speaking of insert a segue here, Roy's <laughs> visa has expired. That his student visa has been has been rejected, so he can't stay at William McKinley High School for his junior year. Yeah. And I think this part is genuine. He says, you all have been my second home. So then he sings the song Home by, uh, how do you pronounce it, Tanner? Uh, Michel Boubilet! Excellent. It's good. It's kind of cute. Everyone's having a good time. Except for Artie. Yeah. <laughs> and then Sugar goes up and like, well, I feel worse for you than I do for Artie. Will you be my date to Valentine's Day? Yeah. More importantly, is it okay to be gay? Yeah. Cut back to the God Squad, whose only itinerary item for the day is, is gay okay? Okay, okay, listen. They're doing the real hard work here. It, it is buck wild, but it also makes me angry, because of course, <laughs> this podcast means I'm in the business of, like, dissecting Glee under a microscope. You guys already had an episode, you had a whole episode a year and a half ago, where you dissected the fact that, hey, Kurt might have some issues with religion because religion might have some issues with Kurt. And also, you've been friends with Kurt for three years. Yeah. <laughs> and Blaine. Yeah. Again, this whole thing, even without having a more of an ex- extensive like memory of what's gone on in the show before this point, this this it felt like space aliens trying to write this. Yeah. Like, yeah. Also, also, Sam and Quinn are bisexual, and I don't care if they don't realize it yet. It's true in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, like, this whole conversation starts because Joe the Christian says he's never made a gay person, and Quinn Fabray says, I guarantee you have. <laughs> and she makes direct eye contact. 
Oh my god. Yes. Yeah. This is the part where we get the line about one in one in twelve people is gay, and because there were twelve apostles, <laughs> one, of them- one of the twelve apostles was probably gay. Probably Simon, because that's the gayest thing. <laughs> Just a brilliant line. Just <sighs> no notes. Just brilliant. What a great, what a great bit. <laughs> they do use the normal, um, like, prompts of, like, debunking Leviticus, where Sam is like, it's an abomination to lay with other men, but we camp with men in Cub Scouts all the time. I also have a subnote here, which just says, why are you joining Cub Scouts just to lay with other men? <laughs> oh my god. Quinn lists off the, like, plant crop, cra- planting uh, different crops as a sin, eating shellfish as a sin, giving a proud look. You know, it wasn't an abomination. Slavery. And Jesus said nothing about gay people. This whole yeah. conversation, it's, it's, it's agony for several reasons. I, I grew up in a um, hyper-evangelical setting, and mm-hmm. I have had this conversation. Months of my life have been devoted to this, to the, all these points. Oh, God. So, like, I have seen how this conversation happens, and it does happen like this, and it's just as dumb as this. There are points in this conversation where I felt like that that one scene from Aaron Sorkin's um, Travesty, The West Wing, where, like, Mr. President Man owns the random person in the crowd. Oh, yeah, I remember It's like, what if that, but they were teenagers, and they were doing it to themselves? <laughs> no, now I need Aaron Sorkin's glee! <laughs> It was very much Aaron Sorkin's glee for about two minutes. <laughs> As someone who loves all of his writing style and none of his politics. <laughs> and I was just kind of sitting there like, okay, please tell me that someone in the writer's room, please tell me you thought about how the bit about the, but we like the laying down bit, like, please tell me you thought about that line. Or either, actually, I don't want to think you thought about it, because if you thought about it, then that makes it worse that you wrote it. <laughs> That's not what that means. There's so many better things you could say here. I wish that the arguments were a little better, but at the same time, having been in this situation, they are this dumb all the time. So this is technically closer to the truth than I would personally like it to be. Yeah. The part that really irks yeah. me, though, is Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Mercedes, mm-hmm. who has been a beacon of light and goodness in our hearts. The true yeah. main character, as far as we are concerned. Mercedes is the one who says, I don't want to make my gospel Ronin choir uncomfortable having to sing songs to gay people. And it's like, that's their problem, Mercedes. Sorry. Yeah. You're, you're aiming at a betting. Like. <laughs> yeah, Mercedes, honey, sweetheart, I'm so sorry they made you say this. This is the writer's fault. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like if I'm so, Mercedes, but also anyone out there, if your church isn't accepting of gay people, I'm sorry, I know it's a hassle, but you gotta find a new church. When God gives you lemons, you find a new God. Yeah, I don't know, because like I liked her immediately, and then that felt like a, it felt like they needed someone to say that line, and she was the only one there to say it. Yeah, I think it is literally just like Alice has said that Mercedes is the character there who they just decided to have the line. I mean, because it doesn't really fit with the other one, the other, the other people in that room. Like, I wish it did because it makes me not a little less able to like her in this moment, which sucks because her rest of her performance is awesome. And I just really love the energy that this actress brings. But she's just the one in the rhythm. Sorry, continue. She's just the one in the rhythm. Yeah. It does also, another thing I just thought of that makes it even worse is that in the Jesus episode, she was the only person who was normal about faith to Kurt. 
Everyone else was like trying to like proselytize and, no, and had never heard of atheism before. And Mercedes was the only one who was like, your dad is in the hospital. You should be with people who care about you. And I do feel like you might get something out of wearing a fabulous hat and coming to my church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This attitude of, um, there's a bit in the, the Gospels that people use for this, that they're, what, they're, pull, they're actually picking at a specific thing here, which is, to your lovely listeners, there is a bit in the Gospels about this idea of the causing, and Gospels and Acts, about causing the younger brother to stumble. Actually, I think specifically that wording is in one of the letters, where this idea of, like, your actions can have negative effects on other people who are in communion and with you, who are in fellowship with you, which is not a bad idea, you know? Like, obviously, we can we can do things that can have negative effects on other people. It's called, you know, being considerate. But mm-hmm. it can become a kind of twisted, all-consuming spinelessness, I guess, that is just really ingrained in you where like, no, that's not the really the right word. Cause it's always, it's not, cause it's not everybody who does it. It's just everybody except the people who are in the privileged position of getting to be the ones who decide where everyone else bends. That kind of makes you like a read where despite the fact that left to your own devices, you would do a, you end up acquiescing into B because you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. So I actually, I mm-hmm. as much as I didn't like that she said it, I actually liked that they put that in here because that is having been this kind of conversation before way too many times. Yeah, you always every single time you're gonna you're gonna hear exactly what she says. Yeah, that th- that does make sense. It is just the issue of like they do never cast the broader light on that picture, and they do not delve deep enough into this to like mm-hmm. sh- show us the. the I mean, I get, they're trying to both sides it, but they're not both sidesing it right. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not Christians who don't like gays versus gays. It's gays versus their friends who are trying to figure out how they fit into their community mm-hmm. while still keeping their faith and not betraying their friends. Yeah, it, it felt like they at some point probably should have talked to at least one person who was a Christian at any point before writing this. <laughs> and I know that they didn't because if they had proselytize on the board would have said witness or evangelize either one. Yeah. And I, like, I just, I, I would genuinely don't believe that at any point they ever bothered to ask someone who'd be able to tell them that. Cause if they had, I feel like this scene would have been a lot better. It also probably would have been a lot funnier. And there's already has a couple of funny points <laughs> in it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we are going to keep yeah. on the Mercedes track because she is at her locker when Sam yes. comes up and he gives her a statue of a wise man that he painted to look like St. Valentine. Yeah. And real quick, something I don't think we mentioned at the end of the last scene, which is relevant to here, is that Quinn tells Joe that he has to take a hard look at the entire situation, re-Christians accepting gay people's relationships, and that he needs to be honest and truthful because, at least to Quinn, that's what being a Christian is about. So Mercedes takes the honest and truthful part to heart because when Sam gives her the statue of St. Valentine, uh, she tells him that she told Shane about the two of them. Shane is her boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend now. Yeah. And Sam's like, uh, holy shit. And yeah. she says Shane told her that he felt like she punched him in the heart. Oh. It's so good. Mm-hmm. That is a good bit. It's a good one. Yeah. And she tells him that she she betrayed who she thought she was, and so she can't be with anyone right now until she figures out what like what's going on in her head and in her heart. And then she sings some Whitney. Yeah, she 
I, I just, I love this because Mercedes is like, look, I really love you, Sam, but I also need to, like, reflect on myself because I never thought that I would be the type of person who would cheat in a relationship. And so I have to, I have to do my self-reflecting and I'm letting you go while I self-reflect. And, like, she starts this song at her locker acapella because Amber Riley can do that. Mm-hmm. And as we cut between her singing in the classroom with her breaking up with Shane in the classroom set, and, like, they are both clearly so torn up about this. And as we cut back and forth and stuff, she sings the verse about, and I wish you joy, joy and happiness. And is it at the key change where we get to the auditorium setting? Yeah. Yeah. We cut to the auditorium where Mercedes is singing on the stage in a beautiful red dress. She is backlit and radiant and Sam is there. And I feel like I feel like this part of the song is from Sam's perspective that he's like looking up at Mercedes and she's this beautiful and talented woman that he can't be with. And he's content to like have like she can have her stage. I'm going to go away because she doesn't need me or want me anymore or something like that. I can buy that. He's sad, but he accepts it. Yes, yeah. And it's it's so beautiful. Amber kills it. And also her and Cord's acting is also super great because they're talented and they deserve to have lots of good things. Yes, yes, yes. Anyways, let's talk about Jeff Goldblum scatting. <sighs> it's, it's, it's the nightly tradition of the Berry Household Dinner Theater. Yeah, <laughs> and they, they do hear the top from, oh God, what's it? Anything goes. Yes, yeah, it's a joke because they're homosexuals, you see. Yeah. I do like the part where Finn turns to his parents and is like, how come we never do this? And Bert is just politely dissociating. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that Brian Stokes Mitchell did a good job. Jeff Goldblum. Is there. No, he, he, not so He's much. just gold blooming away! <laughs> yeah. You get what you pay for. Yeah. You're paying for a very specific kind of performance you you get it. yes you sure it's, get it's, it. it is a just vibes performance yeah we, we then get an orphan punchline of a like uh, Leroy this man he, he sold us the wrong lube that's why everything's squeaking because they're gay you see yeah yeah I really picked a roller coaster for the for which you'd one. think the RuPaul was the first homophobic gay but it was actually Ryan Murphy <laughs> It was actually me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Generally shocked that RuPaul never showed up on Glee. I'm thankful. I mean, he he is kind of in this episode. You know that, right? What? Huh? Okay. Love Shack is in is the like the closing song of this. Yeah. The original yes. video for Love Shack is part of what kind of helped catapult RuPaul into wider public fame. He's in the video. My God, he is in fact the reason why the Quibble video works. Huh. I'm sorry, that, but I've never seen the video. He is he's me either. You speak of the devil when he arrives. Um, hang on. Uh, now at this point, you, Emily, you need to add in like the RuPaul hyena laugh, but put a filter on it so it's like kind of haunting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the the Barry dads talk about the, how they met specifically in their late twenties, early thirties, and that's when they got married. They do a sort of toasts to Finn and the couple and the families whatnot. They make a fat joke at Finn's expense. The, they call him husky, but it's like, it just goes by so quick and... Come on, guys. guys, Come on! Come on! Anyways, now it's time for the teenage lovemaking. Yeah. That's a terrible sentence. That one I like! 
I literally wrote down a toast to Finn and Rachel. Now go fuck. <laughs> Carol did pack Finn's jammies. I I did. I hated every single moment of this. Yeah. My reaction to this, I feel, is how you reacted to the God Squad scene, because it's just like, oh, this is terrible. I love it so much. They're basically like, well, since you two are going to get married at 18, you need to start learning what it's like to be, to cohabit with people who are, who you are in a relationship with. So you guys are going to have a sleepover, and Bert and Carol are going to go see a movie, and... Uh, Leroy and Jeff Goldblum are gonna put on some loud music so they can't hear the two of you having sex. And my note here was, why are Bert and Carol going along with this? Because they don't want their kids to get married. It's just, it's like a fever dream. It just, it just keeps happening. Yeah. And then we cut to Leah Michelle's audition for Clairol or something, or Maybelline. (laughs) Yeah, they go to her room, they decide that there won't be any official funny business because the dads are still here. Uh, and then Rachel does her extensive, like, delousing Nighttime routine or whatever it is. Um, I specifically point out that she moisturizes and then does an ice water face bath, which just feels like the wrong order. Pointless. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're immediately going to rechap your face. Finn got to yeah. take a big poop. <laughs> yeah. And Rachel, Rachel is like, you can't do that here. And he's like, well, where am I supposed to go? And she says, go to your parents' house and poop at your parents' house. Which, like... Look, it's okay if you don't want to poop in the bathroom at the same time. Like, that's fine. But just the fact that she was like, go to your parents' house and poop instead. It's just, it's wild. And then this escalates into an argument about where am I going to poop in New York? And like, we'll have upset schedules because I'll be at the musical theater school and you'll be doing something or other. I don't know, whatever. And Kurt's like, this sucks. Or not Kurt, whatever. I mean, Kurt's probably saying this sucks at some point somewhere out in the wilderness, but Finn goes, this sucks, and then he leaves. And then Leah Michelle accidentally hits the camera when she throws her hairbrush, which was not in the script. Yeah, I, I figured that wasn't scripted because she, like, throws it, and then the screen kind of shakes a little bit, and she's like, oh! Like, she was supposed to throw it, but it was, like, supposed to hit the door frame or whatever, and no, it goes mm-hmm. directly at the camera. Boink! Yeah. And then downstairs, we see Leroy and Jeff Goldblum quietly celebrating together. Yes. We now cut over... To Breadsticks, which is not Olive Garden, and has now been redubbed the Sugar Shack. Kurt is there early because he's going to meet the secret admirer there. He's got a very nice suit on. Yes. It's like a foil scale nail print. I love and it. And then the secret uh, admirer turns out that he's DK. I mean Donkey Kong. I mean Dave Karofsky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Alice, do you know who Karofsky is? I do not. Tanner, David is your Borbo. Would you like to describe him? <laughs> they the, the, pretty much explained in the scene. Uh, last season, Dave Karofsky, uh, well, first two seasons, Dave Karofsky was tormenting Kurt all the time. But then partway through the second season, we found out that Dave is uh, the closet, deep in the closet gay guy. And he forcefully kisses Kurt and Kurt is like horrified. So he threatens to kill Kurt. But like, I always stand by that it wasn't in like, a, I'm actually going to kill you way. It was like, I am a scared teenage boy kind of way. But Kurt still like brought this up to the principal and the, because the bullying was escalating, Kurt transferred schools. That's where he like went to gay Narnia and he met his boyfriend and then they both come back. And then Dave Karofsky like does the whole like, I realize how terrible I was being to you and myself and I can't come out yet, but I do want to like not be a terrible person anymore. And then they were forcefully elected prom king and prom queen together as in Dave was the king and Kurt was the queen. And Kurt was like, well, remember this is a good time to come out. And Dave was like, no, thank you. Goodbye forever. And he ran out of the school and we did not see him again until earlier this season where they were at the gay bar together and Dave is like I think life is good because they call me a bear cub yeah 
Anyways, now he's yeah. back. He has transferred schools, but he's doing well there, and he's not out yet, but he's feeling better about himself, and he thinks that maybe if Kurt would go out with him, he could be a better person. And Kurt yeah. is like, I'm, I'm flattered that my mere presence has facilitated this face turn. However, I have a boyfriend. He's a Cyclops, but still. And, like, this is the part where I wrote down, because, like, this whole episode, Kurt has been getting random cards and candy grams from someone who was just signing them, your secret admirer, from your secret admirer. And I was like, why didn't Kurt just ask Blaine if he'd been sending the cards? <laughs> because that ruins the mystique. I guess. And my other note here was that Dave has clearly been to therapy of some kind, which is good. I like that. And when Kurt is like, I'm sorry, David, I have a boyfriend and I know that you're going to find someone who is who makes you very happy. I just, I am not that person because I am in a relationship that I do not want to leave. In, in my heart, that person is uh, Barry Allen from The Flash CW. <laughs> I forgot to mention that the gay who blinded Blaine a few episodes ago was played by Grant Gustin from The Flash. Yeah. I had not seen The Flash. Oh, okay. Never mind then. I was trying to remember if I see it, like trying to visualize this person to see if I knew who you were talking about. He tall, he skinny. I really wish that narrowed it down. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Christina, yeah. there can't be that many tall, skinny <laughs> yeah. white boys on the CW. <laughs> I think that's most of them. Have Alice, have you seen that meme of the guy throwing up a peace sign next to a gravestone, like at a cemetery and everything? Is that him? That's, that's him. him. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know you're talking about them. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, Dave gave Kurt chocolates and he says i hope you like the butterscotch ones those are my favorites and he goes to leave the restaurant and one of his new classmates sees him and makes joke he does an evil heterosexual leer and dave is like i, I have to leave goodbye and i just wrote down david honey no don't worry it'll get worse but that's not next week <laughs> yeah somehow finn and rachel already made up yeah they made up off screen <laughs> they're like we do not have time <laughs> to show the resolution. That was real quick. They're like, listen, at this by this point, the audience knows that Finchel is going to make up at any point anyway, so we don't even have to bother filming it. They're just fine again, okay? It's fine. Don't worry. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, you know what? It's going to be hard, but we can make it work, because we're us. And then Finn's like, okay, there's just one problem. It is 7.15. We cannot go to bed this early. <laughs> and also because tonight is Valentine's night, and it's a sugar shack night, so they have to go to the dance. Let's go get turned. <laughs> Let's go get white people turned to the love shack. <laughs> but downstairs we see that, uh, we see Leroy and Jeff Goldblum talking about how this whole thing has been a scheme by the parents. Because look, schemes are practically the Barry family's love language. <laughs> yep. This is how they express their love and their care for their children, by trying to reverse psychology them into not getting married. Also, Jeff Goldblum says that the three tenets of the Barry family are honesty, respect, and dance. Which is true. Worse to live by. <laughs> but then Finn and Rachel come downstairs and they're like, hey, we're gonna go out and support our friends at the sold out breadsticks. And also we're going to get married in May, right after nationals. Okay, bye! Seems a little fast. Oh, you don't know that. I'm a bit. <laughs> I can't help. Yeah. Have you ever read uh, The Taming of the Shrew? Yes. Yes. This whole plot thread reminded me of The Taming of the Shrew. They don't deserve the comparison. I'm sure they don't. Rachel would never be able to handle the BDSM that Taming of the Shrew is about. Yeah. And also, there are more than ten things I hate about Rachel. Anyways! <laughs> you know what just occurred to me? 
Santana mm. and Brittany and the Taming of the Shrew. <gasps> Not really. Quinn and Puck are Taming of the Shrew. Ah. And they're both the Shrew. <laughs> the Shrew of the Shrew. <laughs> <laughs> the Shrewing of the Tamed. Uh, welcome to the sugar shack. Everyone look under your chairs, except Artie. Yours is in the potted plant. <laughs> Y'all got a Hickory Farms cheese heart and $200 coupons each to Panda Express, Bed Bath & Beyond, and the Lima Mall Swatch Watch kiosk. Yes. And also her dad is not in the mafia! Does he sell, like, pianos or something? Yes. By day, Almada claims to run a refurbished piano business. It's how he funded... The pianos they used in season in season three, episode one, the purple piano project, where they painted the pianos purple. Hey, babe, you know what sounds like a front? <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it does sound like a front. I yeah. donated three refurbished pianos to a, a high school, and they were all destroyed at the end of the week. And then I funded a glee club there. Dang, that sounds like a great way to launder money. <laughs> Funny glee club sounds like a euphemism for some terrible <laughs> um, criminal activities. Yeah, that's glee. She funds on my glee club to like Gloria her Tanner. Tanner. <laughs> also, I think I think I I, I just want to let you know the glee club he was funding was different from the main glee club. That was a second sinister glee club made of all the women except for Tina, Rachel, and Quinn that then lost immediately, even though they were categorically better. Wow. Basically, the relationship with. Sugar and her dad is that it's the it's the opossum and the mafia dad from Zootopia, <laughs> like literally. <laughs> Except Sugar's not pregnant. <laughs> I mean, God Squad. Right, the God Squad is here. God Squad. Joe comes up to Brittany and Santana, and he says, "I had a long, hard Christian think about this, and I decided the Yowie couple, Yuri couple, normal couple. I see no difference. Love is love." <laughs> And love is 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 love. Yeah. Uh. It's just, I'm very glad they didn't have Cameron playing this role, Tanner. <laughs> no, I would have preferred him because for one, pretty sure Cameron could have acted a little bit better. Also, once again, bringing up this plot point, not plot point, bringing up this fact of reality from when we were talking about the Gleek project. I'm pretty sure Cameron was not real-life kind of homophobic the way that Joe's actor was. The way that Samuel was. Samuel uh, Loki, I don't know if I'd be comfortable with men and men getting together. Ryan Murphy, homosexual. And Ryan Murphy, known homosexual, is like, what a fascinating concept, a homophobe in my gay television show. Uh, just a lot going on. Christina, just as an aside, I feel like we need to put your pain grown on a soundboard so you don't hurt your voice. <laughs> Well, I just gave Emily a very clean one, so. <laughs> Beautiful. It's a very isolated noise of discontentment for me. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, the God Squad is here, and they sing the song Cherish, backslash Cherish, which is a mashup of two songs named Cherish. Yo, dog, I heard you like to be cherished, so I cherish your chair so you can be cherished while you're cherished. Yeah. It's cute. Especially because Quinn gets to sing lead, and so she gets to sing solo to support Britannia, her two best friends. Yeah, it says a lot that, like, 
My two best friends who are now dating each other, I will take solo, I will take point. My weird sapphic crush, who I have a strange obsession with that I don't know how to deal with right now, and now she's engaged to my ex-boyfriend, who I faked a pregnancy with, I will sing nothing. <laughs> that was a lot of things yeah. you just said there. I knew so much has happened, happened to Quinn for Bray. <laughs> yes. A lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, song is good. Jesus, it's cute. holla. Yeah. There's a lot of cute moments with Ratana and with Tina and Mike, which is good. Oh, actually, also during the song, Sugar is dancing with Rory, and she's like, I'll miss you when you go back to Ireland. And Rory's like, what? And then she's like, because oh, you're being yeah. deported. And he's like, uh, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, totally, 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 yeah. Rory was lying. <laughs> the plan was that Rory was lying, and he would return next season. However, he does not actually return next season. Because Ryan Murphy finds a new Blorbo in uh, one Alex Newell. Yeah. So we have two options here. <laughs> the only ones that make sense. Option one is that Rory was so in love with Sugar that he really did forget that he was being deported. Option two is that Rory died on the way back home over the summer. <laughs> I like option one. I like option two because I already wrote a fanfic about it. <laughs> Can I go 50-50? Because I'm torn. <laughs> anyway, guess who's back? From the dead. Blaine is back. Tell a Kurt. Because <laughs> literally Sugar is like, hey, guess who's back from the dead? It's Blaine Warbler. And he like, he just waltzes in the door of the breadsticks wearing a heart-shaped eye patch that he tears off because look, his eye is all better now. And he immediately starts in with singing Love Shack and bringing in Mercedes on... Uh, secondary lead and Rachel and Brittany on backup. And I just wrote down he just Darren's all around the stage. He does. It's a good performance. My favorite part of this yeah. is when Blaine offers the mic to Kurt so that Kurt can sing. <laughs> yeah! And Kurt's like, no, no, I won't. No, I don't need to. And then Kurt puts out a microphone that he prepared earlier. <laughs> yes. That got a genuine laugh out of me. And I like Love Shack because it reminds me of my own experiences with hearing Love Shack at high school dances and college dances and weddings and things it's like it's literally just a whole bunch of people hanging around they do like the bang 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 on the door baby boom, boom. like they're stomping on the tables because people's dancing on tables they get to the part where they're like knock a little ladder sugar and they point at sugar who is on a table yeah and also Quinn goes to dance with Joe, and I just wrote in all caps, HONEY, YOU SWORE OFF MEN TWO EPISODES AGO! <laughs> the tables thing, for some reason, reminds me of Riverdance. The, I think it's just the acoustic noise of banging on a table. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a good reference. I like the quick scene where Finn, like, jumps in front of the ice sculpture and then does the monkey. I like the part where if you follow Sam in the background, you can see him grab one of the foil heart balloons and tear it apart. <laughs> Oh, I didn't see that. I might have to go back and watch this musical number again. Yeah. And then, of course, Kirk gets the tin roof. Rusted. Rusted. <laughs> and it's very good. I would trust no one else with that part. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's the episode. That's the episode. It's done. Uh, Hallelujah. Hashtag love wins. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> Nothing else is on the agenda. I guess we better make sure love wins. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Alice, this is the part of the episode where we ask you, your special guest, to take a gold star sticker and stick it on top of your favorite song for the episode. Ooh, hmm. That's a hard question. I would normally do the Cherish from the very end, 
but I've got to do the Whitney the Whitney Houston number here mm-hmm. because I know the context of her of that of that version, which is uh, there's a dedication to Whitney Houston because that yeah. was very recent when this came out. That's like one of the last things she ever did. She passed three days before it aired. Yeah, so I've got to go with that one because it is historically significant. Sounds good. What about you, Tanner? I am going to go with... No, I'm going to go with L-O-V-E. Nice. I think it's an unsung hero in this one. It continues the year of Mike, but it also gives me more Rory content at the same time. <laughs> because I, I I just can't with Michael Bublé. I, there's one Michael Bublé song I like. Haven't met you yet. Everything else is just slow molasses. None of them live up to how fun his name is to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. How about yourself, Christina? And I will always love you. Fair enough. It is the musical number from this episode that I watched like four or five times before we got on the call. Nice. Because <laughs> it's just so damn good. Mm-hmm. Amber Riley, superstar. And now, Alice, what about a, a non-musical moment that you want to give a gold star to? I gotta give it to, obviously, it's Simon who is the gay one, because Simon is the gayest name. Gotta do it. It's it's genuinely made me laugh out loud. I agree. There are other funny moments, there are other bits are like, I liked that one made me actually laugh out loud, hands down. Yeah, no, that that's also my gold star moment. <laughs> Christina? My gold star has to go to one Sugar Mata for single-handedly saving this episode from a Will Schuster subplot with money. <laughs> if we had had to see William Schuster interact with any of the main plots of this episode, it would have been much worse. But yeah. with just a few hundred dollars... Sugar saved us from that, and I th- appreciate yep. her service. Same here. Same. And and then finally, Alice, what part of this episode do you want to dunk with the slushy? I want to throw a slushy at the at the uh, whiteboard at the back of the God Squad meeting. <laughs> I've never seen a whiteboard single handedly break my immersion for an entire episode of a show before, but I'm almost <laughs> too impressed. But no, it's got to go. My worst moment was Mercedes like. Worrying about respecting her homophobic church. Yeah. Yeah. Mercedes's one sin is also my worst. At long last, no one on the show is free of sin. <laughs> what about Brittany? Is Brittany still free of sin? What about Becky? Becky? No, because Becky can be a bitch sometimes. I will say Emma's probably free of sin. Brittany, much like fish in the sea, has no concept of sin and therefore is by default free of it. Mm, nice. Oh, I know, but she also was like cheated on Artie multiple times. It was also established that Brittany did not know what merited cheating. That is also a good point. So I go back to my previous statement about how she is a fish who does not know what sin is. <laughs> and that's it. We got to the end. Yee. Alice, thank you for joining us. It was a yeah, pleasure to you. be here. Where would you like to be found on the internet? And what do you have that you would like to shout out and or promote? I can be found on Twitter at Lyrewolf. That's L-Y-R-E-W-U-O-F. Every time I say that, it sounds like I'm doing a... Um, I did bumper for a radio station. Nice. And I have a podcast. Uh, you find us on Twitter at at Utenacast, U-T-E-N-A-Cast. We originally were talking about Revolutionary Girl Utena, which is a weird artsy 90s anime. And now on weekdays, we talk about everything else that director did. That's about all I got. I don't have much going on. <laughs> nice. 
And as for this podcast, we are a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on your podcasting platform of choice, and if we aren't there, let us know, and we'll work on getting there. We can also be found at Pod on Twitter. It's still there, as of recording. And mm-hmm. through LoserLikeMePod at gmail.com. We also have our own Discord server and Tumblr, with links in the episode description. Yee. N- next time, it's, it's gonna get serious. David, it's, it's, no! We're gonna have a genuine conversation about, like, mental health. Uh... And then we're going to have to deal with a mashup of a song of Nicki Minaj and R. Kelly. <laughs> huh. Glee! Listen, other than that, I genuinely love the next episode. And it's <laughs> not a dry eye in the house, Wait, is, is next episode on my way? Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yep. There's a reason I have not been offering anyone to guest on that one. <laughs> Yeah, that is one where I do not want to subject anyone besides the two of us who are legally required to be here to it. <laughs> legally by law. Yeah. I mean, we're on the ab bar. We have to be here. Exactly. Anyways. Anyway. <laughs> I am actually looking forward to it. It's just, you know, steal yourself. So, yeah. until next time, this is the part of the episode where I say three, two, one, and then we all say, and that's what you missed on Glee. And Alice, you don't have to worry about saying it's the same cadence or even syncing up, because it's funnier that way if we don't. And Super. Emily works magic. Even though I tell her not to, I say here, don't do it. Don't don't sync it. Just just go, <laughs> audio nightmare. Anyways, three, two, one, and, and that's, that's what, what you missed, missed on Glee. Glee. Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now. As we riff the show, Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love the show. Better grab your golden stars and slushies, cause you're listening. You're listening to Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me.